everybody, and welcome back to Feeling Seen, the podcast that talks about the movies that make us feel seen. My name, obviously, is Jordan Cruciola, and my co-host, as always, we kind of, you know, we bury the lead a little bit in our introductions, and my co-host today, you might have seen her on the show or the film, Dear White People. You might have also seen the movie Bad Hair. You might have also seen the show Grand Crew, where she has popped up, or you could have watched her program, Hello Cupid. And now she has got a new pod, well, podcast is in its second season. Not necessarily a new podcast, but it's in its second season. And so, Ashley Blaine, Featherson Jenkins, tell us about your podcast. And me and you were sort of peers in the conversation space, if I may be so bold as to say so. <laughs> Thank you so much, Jordan. Uh, yeah, my podcast is, you know, I'm, I am talking to people about, I guess, feeling seen at points in their lives, of course. But, but the crux of the podcast is really, we're chatting about the journey. I want to know how people have gotten to where they are. I want to know, um, and all the things that happen in the in-between, right? Like mm -hmm. the good stuff, the bad stuff, the peaks, the valleys. Um, because for me, that's where inspiration lies. That's where the real story is. Uh, I think oftentimes we celebrate the highlight reel, right? Like we're celebrating, you know, the, the Instagram grid, the version. Instagram grid, the awards that people are getting, you know, the, all those things. But I know just based on my journey and the journeys that I've heard of countless other people that like, there were so many things that led them there that actually were even more so important than the accolades they ended up getting. So mm -hmm. that's what it's all about. And, you know, the hope is that we, you know, we are, we're inspiring over um, at my podcast trials to triumphs that we are trials to triumphs. It's on the own podcast. Network, yes. Correct? It's a sister podcast, like the Oprah Winfrey podcast and super mm -hmm. soul Sunday. Um, so, yeah, you know, I'm hoping that we're inspiring people. We are uh, encouraging people to go after their dreams and we're we're allowing people to um, have a brighter perspective over their lives. And a thing that you do on your podcast that I've noticed is you open up with icebreaker questions. Yeah. So I wanted to come in with an icebreaker <laughs> of my own. What is a movie villain you have really identified with? Ooh, that's good. So I'm going to start off by saying I'm realizing and thinking about this that mm -hmm. I don't really like gravitate toward villains. Like I'm not like okay. into the villain stories per se, mm -hmm. but this is crazy. The first thing that popped into mind mm -hmm. was Charlize Theron in Monster as Eileen oh. Warnos. But yeah. here's, I'm like flipping it on its head, right? Because okay. I think the movie's brilliant. I think that she's fantastic in it mm -hmm. but the reason i'm choosing it is because i think that the whole like point of the movie is that like the world and her community villainized this woman yeah like she was villainized mm -hmm. we were you know the the movie is even called monster they were calling her a monster right mm -hmm. but when i really when you when you peel back the layers and when you really mm -hmm. get into her story and her trauma and what she's been through god um, you know, like, I'm like, there's a part of me that's like, I get it though. Mm -hmm. Like I, I actually, and I, and I, and I feel really bad about the fact that nobody took care of her. Mm -hmm. And yes, this is a life that we could some say, some of us could say that she chose, mm -hmm. but what other life would she have actually lived? You know what I mean? Like when you, mm -hmm. when you look at what, what her life was, so that was the first thing that popped into my head. And I like to kind of go with my first mind. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Have you, because I, I, I've had folks on this podcast talk, uh, and we've talked a bit about sort of like the journey in their lives of really coming to accept and embrace being the hero of their own story as and like struggling with feeling like a supporting character in their narrative. So have you, like if, if like not feeling, uh, you know, aligning with the frequency of the villains, have you comfortably felt like the hero of your story or do you have a bit of a supporting, have you had a bit of a supporting character mindset all, at all in your life? Hmm. That's, that's a great question, actually, Jordan. You know, <laughs> I in in my life, I I have I, I do feel like the hero in in my in my life's journey and in my life story, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I have a very leading lady quality to myself. Mm-hmm. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like I, I always have, mm-hmm. not bossy, but I. I know who I am. I mm-hmm. I know what I want. I know what I'm talking about. I like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like I'm coming with the facts to the table. I mm-hmm. like forming community. I, you know, I like helping others, you know, all of these things. I think the spaces that I felt like the supporting characters are because other people are putting me there. It's not because mm-hmm. I'm putting myself there. And that's what makes it frustrating. You know, even sometimes as an actor, I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm a leading lady. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not always a supporting character. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like I, I have a lot of appreciation for the supporting characters. I think supporting characters are fantastic. You know, I've, and I've played many, many, many supporting characters over my career. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's, and it's a special position, but there True. also comes a time when you know, like, yeah, but I'm the lead too. Mm-hmm. So I think that it's, it's the frustration sometimes of being like, don't you see what I see? Like, yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, I, am I, I'm not crazy, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a, the chip on my shoulder is that I don't understand when people don't see my value for exactly what I goddamn know it is. And I'm like, what is your problem? Okay, I we're the same person. perfect. <laughs> I am in a constant, I'm in a constant joyful pursuit of becoming the best and better version of myself mm-hmm. because that is so exciting and so satisfying to me. But it's like, but on the way, guys, <laughs> there's also a lot here. I'm really just wondering why you're not getting <sighs> the fundamental goodness here. So I align with that a lot. I love that. And (laughs) Jordan, and it's frustrating. But the other thing too, is that like, it's also inevitable. Like everybody Mm. can't get it. Yeah. How could they? You're right. You're right. Everybody can't get it. And and so it makes it really special when you find your people or Mm -hmm. the people who do. Mm -hmm. It just feels like it's, you can take the deepest exhale. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I will I will get us to the the characters to discuss today. And you have brought a couple. Yeah. And it is we have Kyla Pratt's Brianna from the sitcom One on One and Charnel Brown's Kimberly Reese from A Different World, the sort of evolution off the Cosby show mm-hmm. following Denise off into college. Um, and I was reading an interview where you were talking about putting like, you know, you and Lena Waithe coming together and sort of just like taking your visibility into your own hands and being like, listen, I'm not seeing what I want to see of people just women like us, black women, just in their 20s living successfully mm-hmm. or striving or trying to be successful, but like taking care of themselves and doing all right. And then and you reference too that like there being this lull between like the creative period, I think we're seeing now with like the Lena Waithe's and the you and the Issa Rays, mm-hmm. and then the sort of gap in like the 
very culturally, emotionally fallow 2000s. But coming off of that comes off of this period of the late or like 90s, really the early to like late 90s into the early 2000s where there's this like incredible bloom of black film and television and so i wanted to hear from you about the experience of 90s tv just sort of as an entity as we get into the specifics of these characters yeah that well you i mean when i look back at the 90s and i'll even push it again into like the early 2000s because that's when Mm -hmm. i was watching uh one-on-one in a different yeah. world, really. I, I started watching one-on-one. I think I was in high school. Yeah, because mm-hmm. we were both in high school at the same time, both the character and I. Mm-hmm. And then a different world, I like binge watched before I went to Howard, before I went to college. Oh, so This is all happening between like 2000 and 2005. Let's just say, 2000, <laughs> like this is all, I'm like getting all of this, this content. But even when I look back just on like the 90s, especially. Yeah. I remember not having to search for myself on TV. Like we, and when I say we, I mean myself, my family, Mm -hmm. you know, my sister, my mom, my dad, my grandmother. There was some, we were all somewhere on Mm -hmm. TV. TGIF included Family Matters. There was Step by Step and Family Matters back to back. And my after school show was just hanging with Mr. Cooper. Yeah. (laughs) The way you said it was just hanging with Mr. Cooper. Yeah, like <laughs> that's like both literally and emotionally yeah. just hanging with Mr. Cooper. You know, we had a Martin. We had so many shows. We had half and half. We we just mm-hmm. had so many shows. Girlfriends. That was a little bit later, but obviously like the Steve Harveys, the mm-hmm. uh, Jamie Fox, uh, Bernie Mac. We had all, mm-hmm. all of those shows too. Mm-hmm. I just say that to say, even on like. Um, dramas and stuff like Mm -hmm. on like you know network dramas there were always black people on them like we were just yeah we were a part of the world we were main characters we were supporting Mm -hmm. characters so growing up i didn't feel like oh man like (laughs) i just really wish there were some representation for me as a little black girl like Uh i had it yeah it wasn't until so okay so then i go to college in 2005 I feel like 2005 to 2009, it was a big reality TV boom. Like it was, mm, a, very, oh, yeah. it was a big reality TV time. Mm-hmm. And so that was kind of that. And like, it was it was diminishing, right? Like it was diminishing. Mm-hmm. It wasn't what it was in the 90s, yeah. in the early 2000s. It's, it's diminishing. I moved to Los Angeles. Hopefully I'm not moving too ahead for you. No, 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 okay. no. Okay. Do, do, please travel. So I moved to LA in 2010. So I'm just, I'm trying to give everyone a timeline of like what's happening. So I'm seeing myself as a girl in the nineties in the early two yeah. thousands. And I'm like binging a different world and watching one-on-one and all of these great shows before I go off to college. And I get <laughs> Living to college. single existed before yeah, friends. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I'm like, you know, then I go to college and like, I was in college. So I guess I didn't have as much time to like be all up on the TV like I was before, but you know, I was <laughs> still watching TV, but you know, and I was, my intention, I went to Howard University and got a BFA in, in musical theater, but my mm-hmm. plan was always to move to Los Angeles and pursue film and television first. Mm-hmm. I still want to do the stage. I, my, mm-hmm. my, my heart is, is on the stage. My beginnings are, are in theater, but I knew I was going to move to LA and do film and television. Mm-hmm. But when I got here, I moved to LA eight months after I graduated from college. So I'm here February, 20, 2010. I'm like, you know, excited to hit the ground running. I'm like, yes, okay. My opportunities are here. 
was like, there, there isn't, who was the 22 year old black girl on TV? Yeah. There literally, I cannot think if, if there were, it was like three and I can't even yeah. tell you, I should be able to tell you who they were right now. There <laughs> right. was no, there was, there was no black young black woman on TV at that time that I remember being like, oh yeah, like I would love to, like this is pre, and I always have to remind people of this, this is pre how to get away with murder. This is pre scandal. Yeah. This mm -hmm. is pre like kind of that boom that ABC and NBC had of kind of those types of dramas. This is way before that. This is, this is pre Shonda Rhimes. This is pre Shonda Rhimes. It was like, uh, it was a dead zone. There was no, mm -hmm. This is pre even like a dear white people, like yeah, black kids in college kind of doing it. That wasn't happening. This is um pre free form, like free form yeah. wasn't making. So this is like we my first co star, uh, like my first like the thing that got me into SAG was uh, a co starring role on a Raven Simone show on ABC Family. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't. I think it got canceled after the first season. Um. But my my point is like Raven Simone had like a little something. And again, yeah. it didn't even last, it didn't last a whole season. Right. And um, she was legacied in from a child stardom at an earlier time. So it kind of doesn't count. Like, shout right. out to Raven, but it doesn't, it doesn't count in the same way. Um, but my point is like that was the opportunity. And yeah. so that is when, you know, shortly after that, I teamed up with my friend Lena Waith and was like, girl, she was a writer. She is a writer. Mm -hmm. And at the time was like trying to trying as a as a black, young black queer woman, trying to figure out who cared about her voice. Yeah. And as you know, there was a lull in that too. And so we banded together and just created our own thing, a web series mm -hmm. called Hello Cupid. Mm -hmm. Where you were getting into like a lot of sorts of conversations around around identity and around like black, the blends on black women in society before that was becoming de rigueur as there would be sort of like, I think a capitalistic, a capitalistic spurred, spurred demand for it in the late 10s, early 2020s as we exist now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I agree. Like, I mean, we were definitely like ahead of the game. Mm -hmm. But I think what I want people to understand is that we were only well, ahead white of the people game. are often following behind, so that makes sense. Well, there's there's <laughs> that. Um, glad glad you know that, Jordan. Uh, but no, yeah. like I think <laughs> I think the thing is like what I want people to know is that we had to be. Yeah, like we had to be there. We like. We just, I didn't have a choice. Lena and I didn't have a choice. I mean, the choice was just to not do anything. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, it's changed. It's changing. Mm -hmm. But we still have a long way to go. And I'm talking about 13 years ago that I moved to mm -hmm. L.A., so, uh, but, but obviously there's a lot more opportunity and then, and obviously I've since had opportunities and, and more has come along. But when I first got here, I was like, damn, this is a bad time to be trying to be, you know, a young black actress in L.A. because there, there isn't anything for me. And so, like, it's such a, because it's almost like, like you said, like, you're still watching TV sometimes when you're in college. Of course, but, yeah. Like, but, like, at the same time, it's like, you couldn't, we couldn't quite access it then like we can now, like, all of it at our fingertips. So, like, if you're watching, if you're, like, kind of, like, stockpiling these things before you go off to college, and then, like, you're watching intermittently as you go, then you're like, I'm going to L.A., I've got this stage degree, like, now, like, now, where are my opportunities, everybody? I feel like that's almost like coming out of, like, the Kimmy Schmidt bunker mm. and being like, what the fuck happened? <laughs> <laughs> Since I binged a different world, like 
Literally. What happened since I watched one-on-one? What has been going on while I was in college? I was not prepared. In Kimberly Reese, we have a character more on the supporting side. And then in um, one-on-one, we have Brianna, who is like front and center. And when I was rewatching the, I hadn't watched that show in so long, and I rewatched the pilot to talk to you. And I was just like, this isn't outstanding. Like the introduction that we get to Brianna in that show is so fantastic. And you're like, I'm like, I feel like I know her for the rest of the show now. I got the grant. Yay! We're going to Nova Scotia for a whole year. Yay! (laughs) You ain't yan. Well, Mom, when you first mentioned this, I looked Nova Scotia up online. And they ain't online. You know what? There's an endangered species up there. Uh, What do you call them? Oh, yeah. Black people. You know, Daddy's right. I should stay here with him. Oh. Which Daddy said that? Well, we just said how much we're going to miss each other and that two weeks a year isn't enough. Yeah, but Daddy talked too much. And you really want to stay here? Mom, Daddy and I are going to be just fine. So, like, tell me about those two characters' energies and them comprising a kind of, like, part of your personality. Yeah, so, okay, I'll start with Brianna. You know, here's the thing. Like I said, I always wanted to move to L.A. and Mm -hmm. basically be Kyla Pratt. Like, that's what I wanted. And so when I saw her, well, I had already been begging my parents to, like, quit their jobs and let me move to L.A. And they were like, (laughs) no, no. No. You're from, I believe, around the in Maryland, correct? Yeah, I'm from the DC yes. metropolitan area. Yeah. Yes. So <laughs> anyway, my parents were like, no. That's I a mean, long trip. Yeah. Also, like they were like, we have jobs and a beautiful home here. We're not leaving. <laughs> and you're going to college. And I was like, fine, fine, fine. Yeah, they're like, we're not in Glendora, Ashley. We're in DC. <laughs> it's crazy. The fact that I was like, I was like writing proposals, like really trying to ask them, like convince them to do it. And they were like, no. Uh anywho. So, you know, when I saw, first of all, you know, one-on-one was on UPN. So UPN had the, they had the content, okay? Um, (laughs) But when I saw Kyla Pratt as Brianna on -on one-on-one, I was like, Mm -hmm. that's it. Like, (laughs) that's me. Like, it was, it was like the personification of like, that's who I want to be and that's what I want to do. Like, it mm -hmm. was, it was like my... Example, like if you want to know what I want to do, this is it. Like I want to be the lead on a hilarious sitcom where I'm just living my life, which is essentially kind of years later what we did with Hello Cupid. It just, she's older, obviously, and whatever. But like, I was so inspired by her. And I saw Mm -hmm. a lot of myself in her. Like I said, we're around the same age. I think we might be a year apart, if that. Um, and I remember like I wrote into her fan club. She had like a fan club at that time. <laughs> yes. That was like a big thing people were doing. Mm-hmm. And I like since have met like now, like I know her and she's so kind and we're very supportive of each other's careers. Wonderful. But at the time, she sent me back a, a black and white signed headshot. And it was so nice. And I think the message, I have it, I would have to find it, but basically the message said, like, Ashley, like, keep going after your dreams. Like you can do mm-hmm. it. And I just really appreciated that like it it did more for me at that time like I like held on to it like if Kyla Pratt said I can do it yeah and I can and like (laughs) you know now I live here and like Kyla Pratt she's amazing she's been so like I said so supportive of me and kind Mm -hmm. and you know like I've reminded her of that moment and she's like oh my god like you know it's amazing but anyway so that's what one-on-one was for me one-on-one was like the life that I was living at that time Uh it was really inspiring to me 
And that is, for for those who might not have watched the show, one-on-one is the story of a young girl, Brianna, who in the pilot episode, she's like visiting her dad for the two weeks a year she gets to spend with him. He is a former pro ball player and he gets, uh, you know, goes down with injuries and becomes like a, a sports news broadcaster. Her mom gets a job in Canada that's super exciting and she's like, I'm not going to Canada. I'd rather live with dad. So the show is her moving in with her kind of like... Lothario father who's loving and caring and overprotective but is also definitely figuring out how to be an adult. Yes. While she has that kind of like preternatural adult energy to her that makes her feel uh-huh. like is she who's the parent in this house sometimes exactly. with many so many wonderful one-liners. Yeah, and also to like I'm I'm a daddy's girl and you know <laughs> she they're, they're in Baltimore, I'm in Maryland. Like it just was so many connections. <laughs> You know, McKinley is a magnet school now with a wonderful performing arts program. I've been telling Daddy I wanted to be a famous actress. What kind of future is there in acting? (laughs) Daddy, I can sing, I can dance, I can rap. I'm gonna be the next J-Lo, but you can call me B-Lo, though. You know. (laughs) You can call me No-No, you know. (laughs) Because I'm still not convinced. But Daddy, look. You pursued your dream of making it in the NBA? Yes, but when I blew out my knee, I still had my communications degree to fall back on. But you lived your dream. Let me live mine. So, you know, one-on-one was kind of like the life that I was living. Then, Mm -hmm. I have a sister who's nine years older than me. And so a different world was always playing in in the house, but I was much younger when a different Mm -hmm. world was like in its prime. Hi, Whitley. That's me. I'm Kim Reese. I'm your roommate. Oh, it's a pleasure to meet you, Kimberly. These are my friends, Ronald Johnson and Dwayne Wayne. Dwayne Wayne, hi. Nice to meet you. you. (laughs) Good luck. Good luck? What do you mean by that? I'm sure he meant good luck here at Hillman, Kimberly. And please, please call me Kim. Kimberly gets on my last nerve. Well, Kimber, Kim, you certainly have made yourself at home in my room. Don't you mean our room? Of course I meant that. And so once I got accepted to Howard University, which is an mm-hmm. HBCU, uh, just like Hillman is mm-hmm. in a different world, uh, which is is the, the college that a different world is centered around, I was like, I'm going to binge watch a different world. Like, I want to get prepared for my... HBCU experience and it mm-hmm. like blew my mind. I was like, this show is like one of the best shows ever. Like it's <laughs> so great, but it was kind of like my my training wheels into my mm-hmm. own HBCU experience. So both of them did a thing for me in high school and preparing to go to college and that I was very intentional about, but they also really broadened my broadened my horizons as it pertained to my dreams and goals of being mm. an actor, what type of actor I wanted to be, what types of programming I wanted to do, yeah. what types of shows I think that I really fit in. And I think the shows like one-on-one and a different world, which I ended up doing Dear White People, which is very similar to a different world, which is, yeah. and playing a character, basically that's Kimberly Reese, but in the Dear White <laughs> People version, like who could have predicted that, right? Mm-hmm. Like I, when I think about the, 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 the kismet nature of that, I think it's mm-hmm. pretty cool. Everybody has hot dreams. I know every one of these girls in the storm has. How do you know that? You don't hang on enough. You should. The things these girls come up with, they are wild. 
Really? And I bet what you dreamed wasn't half as rowdy as their stuff. Well, you don't know that. As it happens, my dream was very vivid. Way to go. <laughs> Come on, tell me. Who was it? Was he famous? Terrence Trent Darby. That braided mop. <laughs> I know. It was the guy at the party, the one you're making googly eyes at? No. Then who? <laughs> it's too silly. I promise I won't laugh. It was Dwayne. Dwayne Wayne? <laughs> <laughs> you said you weren't gonna laugh. That's before you said it was Dwayne. <laughs> well, yeah, and it's like, did you feel that, watch, like, when you went on to your own HBCU experience, did you find, it was like, wow, that show really honored the experience that I'm, that this is, and actually, like, they, like, shit, they, they were getting this right. One billion percent. Okay. One billion wow. percent. Okay, yeah. It was fantastic. It's such a good, sh and it's, it's a show that is timeless. It will never, it, it, it will always work. It's a classic show. And then, on top of that, I end up going to do Dear White People. My showrunner uh -huh. on Dear White People is Yvette Lee Bowser, who was on a different world. She's a writer, producer, <laughs> everything on a different world. Her entire, that was like a different world to her was to her what Dear White People is to me. And then she right. ended up being my showrunner on Dear White People. Like, so it just goes to show like, you just never know how the dots are connecting, but the dots are for sure connecting. I remember and like, when I was growing up, like I, it was, I was on a podcast with somebody once and we were talking about the movie Anaconda. Oh. And the, <laughs> with the, are you familiar with Anaconda? I am. <laughs> Just, um, well, and, and, and somebody on the podcast was remarking about how, like, notable it was that, like, this movie was led by a black actor in Ice Cube and a Latina woman in Jennifer Lopez. And we were, there was, like, a couple guests on the show and me and, me and that other guest got to talking about how, like, actually, like, at this time, that actually wasn't crazy like this was in the 1990s like one of my like touchpoint films for like like women on screen is set it off mm. and like didn't not clocking it till later but like also that's one of my touchpoint films for like queer women on screen yeah. <laughs> in like queen latifah and just kind of even though like having having men in that movie like sort of jada pinkett smith's entire vibe in that movie and then her as Geraldine in tales from the crib demon knight like there was such a variety and uh, texture and sort of unshowiness about the way it seems like black life and black families and black circumstances could be depicted on screen in a way that now it feels like a lot of times, like, I feel like we're getting past this point, but it feels like an initiative mm. that is being taken in the same way that it feels similar with we're coming out of it, too, I feel like with like queer experience on screen where we're coming out of the like and now it's Love, Simon. It's like it's a coming out story, but a happy one. But yeah. like we've always been doing coming out stories. So yeah. this feels a little bit more like one of those versus like back in the 90s. Mike Nichols directs the goddamn Birdcage, and it's Robin Williams and Nathan Lane playing husbands running a drag bar in Miami, and this movie is a blockbuster that makes $180 million. And then we're, like, settling for being the GBF on mm. television shows in the 2000s. So we go into that fallow period that uh, I feel like you have referenced as well. And it's just like, it's kind of like, who told who that That's they needed to just start? <laughs> like, how did this, why did it happen and how did it happen? Yeah, like, what confab of executives was like, we've let this get too far? 
because it feels like there was an organized kibosh. I agree. On, like it was strategic. Just, it had to be because it was it was because to your point, Jordan, not only was it booming, it was uh-huh. doing really well. Doing it was successful. <laughs> this was not niche. Yeah. Oh, that's that's an investigation podcast we have to do going into. <laughs> well, like the Wayans brothers, like in in Living Color, begins uh, an empire of Wayans family members, and like like one of the most worn out tapes in my house was was Major Pain. Oh my gosh, that's one of my husband's favorite movies. It's so good. It- <laughs> I love that movie. That and then another one of our favorites was um, Low Down Dirty Shame. Oh yeah, with Keenan Ivory, and so it just it like these were movies that like did well and. They like broad appealed. Like I'm watching it in my house. Uh-huh. It couldn't be goddamn more of a white family than mine. <laughs> but like it was entertainment that seemed like it seemed like entertainment had a permission to reach people on its terms of its like this is a good dramatic movie. This is a funny movie that people will think is funny, as opposed to like hey, you know, you might learn something about someone you've never met if you watch this film. Yeah, I, I think it's because. I think it's because we were more focused on entertainment being entertainment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Everything didn't need to have a message. If it did have a message, Mm -hmm. that was great. We Mm love the message. But people were entertainers. (laughs) Entertainment for people who enjoy viewing entertainment. Like that's that's Mm -hmm. what it was. It's become almost like. It's it's too controlled. It's too contrived now. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like you said, there's like an initiative. There's quotas mm-hmm. that people have to fill, uh, and, and I think that's what makes it. It kind of it kind of took the heart out of it. I, I, saw, I saw a quote the other day where Martin Scorsese was like, "Film is done." He just like I, <laughs> I'm like maybe like I'm paraphrasing it, but he basically was just like, "It's over for us." Like film is we have to get back because he's his worry is that like the superhero stories are going to take over and that when the next generation grows up, they're going to think that's just what movies are. Like movies are just Superman and Spider-Man going into the Spider-Verse or whatever. And like (laughs) Transformers or whatever. And like, no, there's like great dramatic Mm -hmm. stories, screenplays that are, that are, that people want to, and stories that people want to tell that, Mm -hmm. It's just, it's so much harder to get those things made right now. It's time for a short break. Then we'll be back with more from Ashley. And at the end of the show, I will have one quick thing before I go about my Flanagan's latest Netflix venture, The Fall of the House of Usher. So stick around for that. The human mind can be tricky. Your mental health can be complex. Your emotional life can be complicated. So it helps to talk about it. I'm John Moe. Join me each week on my show, Depression Mode with John Moe. It's in-depth conversations about mental health with writers, musicians, comedians, doctors, and experts. Folks like Noah Khan, Sashir Zameda, and Surgeon General Vivek Murthy. We talk about depression, anxiety, trauma, imposter syndrome, and perfectionism. We have the kind of conversations that a lot of folks are hesitant to have themselves. Listen, and you won't feel as alone, and you'll have some laughs, too. Depression Mode for Maximum Fun at MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, this is Daniel Barwella, technology and data specialist. I'm here with... 
Kira Gowan, Ad Operations Specialist, and we are both worker owners here at Maximum Fun. October is National Co-op Month, so we're celebrating our brand new co-op and others with an event called Co-Optober. We've got special events all month long, starting with a live Q&A on YouTube, where Max Fun worker owners will answer your questions on Friday, October 6th, and much more to come. We also want to tell you about some incredible limited edition merch exclusively available to Max Fun members until the end of October. If you're already a member of Max Fun, you've shown that you care about our shows and what we do. If you also want to help launch us into this new cooperative era and show off your support, go ahead and get yourself a hat, pin, or shirt. We worked with some of our favorite artists to make them really special. For details on merch, all of our upcoming events, like Meetup Day and more, visit MaximumFun.org slash Co-Optober. That's C-O-O-P-T-O-B-E-R. Happy Co-Optober! Welcome back to Feeling Seed. I'm talking with Ashley Blaine Featherson-Jenkins, the host of Trials to Triumphs on Oprah's own podcast network. We've been talking about the TV characters she felt seen by and how they led her to her own career as a TV and film actor. One of the interesting things I've been seeing like people talk about on, on social media recently is kind of like bring back the 25-episode season. Oh. Like... <laughs> And like for better, like what, like I, I'm not gonna say that's like objectively the best thing, but I feel like like shows that we watched right growing up, these like entertainment based 25 episode shows where you could get writers' rooms getting like long term employment, <laughs> you had people getting good residuals checks, working for network TV, like those things are very cool. But like there's a kind of there's a sort of there's an interesting fun that comes with the length of those kinds of seasons. Because I remember, like, I remember I was a big Pretty Little Liars fan. Huge. Mm, Maybe it's my favorite show I didn't of all watch time. it. I didn't watch it. It is a fucking mess. It's, it's incredible. It's one that I think I need to go back and watch that one. I think it's why I need I, to go it, back and binge it. Okay. If you want blind entertainment, like, you can go okay. for Pretty Little Liars. Okay. But there's, like, it runs for seven seasons, and it's a mystery show about, like, like a whodunit. And, and it, like, it gets so crazy. And at the very end of the show, when, the, like, the cast is doing their exit interviews, like, with publications, they get asked about so many, like, what about this plot hole? What about this plot hole? And the, the, the ease with which so many of them, like, the four women would be like, listen... I don't know. I don't man. remember. I they're, know. I, <laughs> and they're like, it's 25 episodes. We got to think of something like just the idea that like, hey, man, we had to pass. So maybe there's a crazy bottle episode in here sometimes. But the idea of like pure entertainment television and television that doesn't feel like it has to be a film. Like it's really more of a 13 hour movie. It's like, but what if I want TV? Like, mm-hmm. What then? Yeah. I'm not mad at like the 25 episode situations. Mm hmm. It just has to be good. Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. I think they used to be done better. I think yes, it's, it's, it's like we've we lost. It's like we stopped flexing the muscle, so we lost it, it. Exactly, that's exactly what I was gonna say. Like we only know how to write and act and produce mm-hmm. ten episodes. Like yeah. that's all we know how to do now. When we add on fifteen more, everybody's like, oh, "Wait a minute! Wait a minute! Wait a minute! I don't know how to do this." Wait, a-. like we have to kind of rework those muscles I think because I think oftentimes now when I see shows that have that many episodes I always say this has too many episodes sure 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 like this shouldn't have gone on this long you know what I mean (laughs) or or this has too many seasons Mm -hmm. like 
yikes. But before, what did we used to do? We used to be like, what? They're canceling this? We need more seasons. Yeah, like, we're, all, we're only on season nine. How could you cancel this? Can you believe they canceled this after 13 seasons? Like, that's <laughs> yeah. what we were t- You guys, there's only 200 episodes. What am I going to do when this is done? That's how we used to be. Now we're like, oh, thank God. It's a limited series. It's only four episodes. Woo! Like... <laughs> Like, <laughs> that's what we're doing now. So we it's it's a tough it's a tough landscape, Jordan. Mm-hmm. It's tough. Well, and, and, and to what you were saying about um, like we were talking about like sort of the, the curation aspect of like and now we present to you good work of like representation. Mm-hmm. And but like, do you feel like like in your own creativity and what you want to make, do you feel like there is room for spontaneity and originality actually in execution? Or is that the rhetoric that we like to traffic in with like the notion of an industry welcoming more stories and points of view? Or do you find that you still have to punch up against a notion of like, no, I'm still like dealing with curators being like, oh, no, 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 not that black woman's story. We want that black woman's story over there because that's the one. Mm -hmm. This, this is, this is how I feel. I feel like... Oof, this is real. I hope that's not an asshole question. I hope I'm not being like, hey, it's easy for you to ask me that. And now I have the fucking job of answering it. So no, it's a fantastic question. And one that I actually am really like grateful that you asked me and I'm excited to answer. I think the industry has now changed to where there is a lot of opportunity for the stories that myself and my peers want to tell, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Even just off the strength of like, there's just a lot of places. Mm-hmm. Netflix, there's, yeah. Hulu, there's Amazon, there's uh, Amazon Freebie, there's all the networks, there's HBO, there's Mac. Like there's so many places mm-hmm. that are looking for content, right? Mm-hmm. The problem is that the biggest change in the industry is that it's not about what you have. It's about who you are. Right. Okay. So I could have the next Game of Thrones. Right, okay. Yeah. Uh, Grey's Anatomy 2.0. Like, yeah I, yeah, I could have this. But if I'm not popular enough. Mm, if I'm not mm. enough of a name to them, mm-hmm. if I don't have enough followers, it's either going to immediately knock me out of the running. Like it's I'm, it's not even going to be considered or they'll say, we'll take it, but not with you. Right. We got to put an idea. Yeah. Put someone right else in the middle of that. Yeah. And so I think it's a little misleading when people just say, create it yourself. Yeah. Like, just do it. Like, oh, what do you mean? The advice like, of go make something is like, fuck you. It, it like, is. Yes, but also, uh, with what money? Like, <laughs> like you can't, I, even me, mm-hmm. I cannot easily just walk into Amazon <laughs> and say like, what's up, Amazon? Y'all trying to give me an overall deal? Like, what's up? I have these... I, I'm not saying that that won't happen in my career. It, sure. Amazon could call me tomorrow. I hope they do. But my point is, it's mm-hmm. not, I think people make it seem like that. And to go back to 
2011, 2012, when Lena and I did Hello Cupid, it was a different landscape. First of all, web series were really big at that time. You're so right. That's such a big difference. We created a web series. Going somewhere and saying, hey, I have this web series. Uh -huh. Can you guys help me produce it? That is very different than going into Amazon or Netflix or HBO or whatever and saying, hey, do you want to buy my show? Mm -hmm. And and it, it and it's a budget of 10 million an episode and mm -hmm. nobody really knows who I am. Yeah. It's, and I think it's and I think it's, it's misleading to people. Again, there are one offs where it can happen, whatever. Mm -hmm. But again, that's what I'm talking about on my podcast. We're going into the journey because what you really find out is that people that we're seeing have these opportunities are like, yeah, I've been trying to do this for 14 years. Yeah. They're not saying, yeah. you know what? I just wrote something that I thought was really good. And, you know, I, I had a friend that walked me into Amazon and they bought it for 17 million. That is yeah. not happening. It's just not. <laughs> yeah. It's just not. No, it is. And you're, it's so like that. I feel like that's such an important detail that you mentioned about like, it, like the era of the web series. There was this period of between like the very end of the, the 2000s and the beginning of the 10s where mm -hmm. like your Twitter feed could conceivably get you a writing job. Your web series could get you uh, into a writer's room. Or I know multiple people who are like executives now at company or like junior executives who were like, yeah, I made a web series and uh, a, a studio reached out to me. They were like, we love your idea. And that like got them. In, the that thing. was the thing that got them in the door. And that is not now. Lena Waithe had a successful web series before she had successful television shows. Yeah. That's a yeah. fact. Mm -hmm. I I was starring in a successful web series before I was starring in a successful TV show. These mm -hmm. are facts. Issa Rae. Issa Rae. We were doing it at the same time. We did crossover episodes. That's how I know Issa. Like, right, right. it is. And at that time, it could be a platform for you. Mm -hmm. It cannot now. Nobody, nope. if you walked into someone and was like, I could create a web series, or I created a, 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 a spec film or something, people yeah. would be like, no, thanks. Don't, don't want it. Don't care. I know one who went in for, uh, she went in for an interview for a job as a late night writer mm -hmm. at a, at one of the big late night shows. And she had her packet. Like she got the interview for a family friend. She got through connect. She had her whole writer's packet and she was going to hand it over to them. They're like, no, we've, we know your Twitter feed. We don't need that. Got hired, worked on the job, worked on the show for over a decade. And See, that window, that window of time was so real, but that window is, is closed now. That does, it does not work the same way. It's closed. So it's about popularity now. It's how we're seeing mm -hmm. like TikTokers or whatever star and television shows. Mm -hmm. It's because it, the networks are looking and the studios are looking at dollars. How mm -hmm. many, how many, how much, how much money can we make off of this person? Not how talented is this person? And I think because they're so talented, this will be a, this will be a hit. I'm I'm willing to bet on this person. They're not betting on people in the same way. People, I think people think podcasting requires less than it does. Like podcasting that's well done. Mm. I think I think they really do think it's just like they do. Hey, you show up and and everything like just happens and and like hey, I I encourage everybody to have a podcast. I think it's a wonderful way to spend time with your friends and only do it if you want to do it, not because you think it's going to go anywhere. It's just something you enjoy. Yeah. But like a professional podcast enterprise. But, like, there is a wonderful aspect of self-determination about it. And I only mention that as a preface because I wanted to ask you, when you were conceiving of your podcast, mm -hmm. what was that 
filling for you at the time you were germinating the idea for Trials and Triumphs? What was it that you were like, I want to do this for me and this is what it will nourish for me to put this out in the world? Yeah, you know, it was, and I'm happy that we're kind of talking about the journey and we've talked about Hello Cupid and whatever, because I always have, and I, and I will continue to always create what I want. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm creating out of a void that I'm feeling Mm -hmm. all the time. And, and I, and that's always my advice for creators, for people that want to, want to embark on creating their own stuff is don't create what you already see. Mm. Don't try to just replicate something create what you know you don't see, but you know you want. Mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. that that means that there's other people that probably need it too, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? And so that's what I did with Trials to Triumphs. I, I created the podcast that I so desperately wanted. I wanted yeah. a place where I could go and when I was feeling low or needed to pick me up or needed a good story of inspiration, I knew that I could count on it. And mm-hmm. I knew that Something in each episode would provide me with a little pep in my step to keep going. Mm-hmm. And that's what I wanted. And that's what I wanted to 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 provide to other or offer rather to other people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my manager was the one who had the idea for me to start a podcast. Mm-hmm. And my response was, who would listen to my podcast? Mike, <laughs> that's insane. Like literally... <laughs> I'm glad that you're practical enough to ask that question because I was like, oh, I can hear the sound of my own voice and I get to ask people questions about their feelings. I'm I'm excited. No, I was like, Mike, are you insane? There's... You know, and he that's you have to have a manager. Like he was like, I have this idea. I think you should have a podcast. And I was like, oh my God, that sounds great. Why would I have a podcast? That's insane. He was like, why wouldn't you? Mm -hmm. He was like, you have a voice. People love your voice. And I don't mean like the actual like, sound of my voice. I mean, like what I have to say. And like, I had already been using my voice in that way, but Mm -hmm. not thinking that I should have a podcast. (laughs) And I was like, I literally was like, yeah, Mike. Okay. So like, what's the podcast going to be about? He was like, yeah. (laughs) Okay. Mike, you got all these ideas. Let's hear this idea, Mike. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, okay, Mike. And he was like, I don't know. That's for you to come up with and like click it was like so dramatic it was like bye and like you got the phone and I'm just like left holding the phone um, <laughs> you're like did you find a landline from to get that click at the end what was that are you kidding me <laughs> do you find a rotary phone for a dramatic effect but it was one of the best things he could have ever done for me because the truth is I do think at that time in my life I had a more limited mindset Sure. You know, I, I I had been kicked down a lot. I was like, oh, mm. another thing for people to tell me no about. Like, yeah, yeah. Another thing for people to just reject. Like, I don't know that I want to do that. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, something that I know is going to be good, but everyone yeah. else is going to be like, yeah, you know what? Like, this <laughs> sounds great, but we're just not looking for something like this at this time. But me, I just didn't I didn't want to do that. Uh huh. But. I prayed about it. I sat with it for a while and I realized it's bigger than me mm-hmm. and it matters and it's good and mm-hmm. somebody's going to take it. And it was a journey. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It was not fast. It was a journey <laughs> yeah. and it, it was at so many places and we didn't, they didn't know what to do or COVID happened. It's so many things happened, mm-hmm. but I 
feel like it's exactly where it's supposed to be. I'm in the second season and we're firing on all cylinders. And, and, and most importantly, we're changing lives. It's the messages that I get where people are like, you know, ABFJ, I don't know if you're going to see this. I always do though. So, but mm-hmm. I, I'm always like, I, I, I see this. Thank you so much. <laughs> but I don't know if you're going to see this, but like you've changed my life keep going. Oh. I just want mm-hmm. you to know this podcast really means something to me. I shared this with my friend and she called me crying. Whatever it is, though that it it keeps me going. I and the the best part, and I hope you feel this way too, Jordan, is that like I get so much from my podcast. It makes me so happy every single week. Right. What a joy. What an honor to get to talk to people about like the truth of their experience and who they are. It's just such a gift. Mm-hmm. So like, I just got chills thinking about that. Cause I, I love that you, you get it, you understand. And like, I know the way that I feel right now on your podcast. So well, I hope it's positive. It's very positive. And You're like, like, and by that, I mean, I am eager to get out of here. No, 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 no. But <laughs> you know, ultimately I feel seen. So that means that you're doing exactly what you set out to do, Jordan, and you're doing it authentically and you're creating a space where I and others feel vulnerable enough to have this type of exchange with you. And that's always what I'm trying to do over at Trials to Triumph. So kudos to you, Jordan. This is like I I love being here and and I love feeling seen. I really do. (laughs) Well, I can't like I I can't contrive a better uh, conclusion uh, question than that. So I, I like I like this brings us up enough to tie where I just feel like I have to just be, like let that be the bow on it and just <laughs> thank you again for your time and for joining us. And, like this became one of those kind of like conversations about conversation, yeah. and I'm really glad it got to do that because it's a nice surprise every once in a while when those come along. Yeah, no, this was a gift. This was a great way to start my day, Jordan, and hopefully you'll have me back. I would love to come back. I would, if you come up with, if you're like sitting and you're in one of those quiet moments and you're like, you know what? I do have a villain that I love. Yes, I will let you, you know. <laughs> yeah, like, I want to know where you align with the, with the dark side. But just for today, thank you so much for the light and for the conversation. I really appreciate you coming Thank on. you, Jordan. I had a blast. Thanks so much to Ashley Blaine Featherson Jenkins. Catch up with Trials to Triumphs wherever you find your podcasts. And now, one quick thing before I go about, you know, maybe maybe your favorite, really possibly my favorite, Mike Flanagan. Just can't say enough about the guy. Um, he is coming down to, what is at least close to? Close to the end, if not the very end, of his deal with Netflix. Um, he, now this was pre-strike and pre, you know, things kind of get rearranged during a force majeure event like this, but, uh, Mike Flanagan signed an overall deal with Amazon, um, last year. I would imagine they're not letting the guy go. I kind of think that one's going to still kick around. So he will be making work under the banner of Amazon now, but out on Netflix shortly, we will have... I think probably my favorite thing he has done in the TV zone since The Haunting of Hill House, um, he has made The Fall of the House of Usher into a miniseries. 
Uh, he is, it's sort of a, it is a melting pot of the works of Edgar Allan Poe. Obviously, The Fall of the House of Usher is its own standalone tale, but this is a melange of Poe. References, stories, characters under the framework of The House of Usher. And it's got the Flanagan things you love. It's got monologues. It has got beautiful uh, direction and cinematography, uh, horror storybooks come to life, uh, lensed and directed by his longtime creative partner at points, uh, Mike Fimignari. He has got directing credits on this. He has come into that chair working with Mike, uh, not just DPing anymore. And um, so many of your Flanna faves, there is his wife, the resplendent Kate Siegel, playing um, Camille L'Espagne, family publicist and spin master. There's Henry Thomas back again. This time he's Frederick Usher, one of the kids. Mary McDonald's here as the sister to Roderick Usher, Madeline Usher. You've got uh, Annabeth Gish popping in back here again. Bruce Greenwood. My God, this man is an all-timer. Bruce Greenwood always shows up and delivered. Samantha Sloyan, who was absolutely haunting in Midnight Mass, is here as Tamerlane Usher, friend of this show, Rahul Coley, as Napoleon Usher. If you watch The Midnight Club, you'll recognize Ruth Codd. She's in here as the youngest imaginable stepmom to all the Usher kids. Uh, there, yeah, there's there's Easter eggs abound, really, for Poe enthusiasts and Flanagan enthusiasts. And you know what? Chief, I'm going to say chief among them all. One of the best things about Mike Flanagan is how much he understands and respects the range and power and eternal hotness of Carla Cugino. And Carla Cugino is a sort of thread-weaving character in this show who really um, brings, really rains down hellfire on the House of Usher and is sort of the face of their their doom. And she gets to do such interesting things in this part. They could almost be sort of read as like a femme fatale, which Carla Gugino is so outfitted for. But there are interesting aspects of how she is utilized in certain character stories where she gets to do very interesting even physical acting that's sort of unexpected. This is, um, as I've been telling people when I'm talking about it, if you've wanted to see Mike Flanagan's take on Succession, that is what the fall of the House of Usher is. Um, yeah, I just, I'm so excited to see what Flanagan does under the under the Amazon deal. I'm wondering how that might change the flavor of what he makes. Um, I'm wondering how that might change, I don't know, resources, access, something. Like something's gotta be, Something's got to be different while also maintaining that deeply emotional core of any Flanagan project, uh, giving Carla some of the best work of her career, telling you, you know what, Zach Guilford is not just Matt Saracen from Friday Night Lights and giving him good dramatic roles to chew on. And Mark Hamill is in this as maybe the most unsettling character Mark Hamill has ever played, the shark lawyer, Arthur Pym. So, yeah, I feel like this... this it's like a repertory that doesn't make you feel icky sometimes, like Ryan Murphy's cast does, like where he's just like kind of icky and like, you know, we like the American Horror Story over here. We like playing in the mud and the muck of the Murphy verse. But like, if you want to go feel good, if you want to go just like slip into a warm bath of uh, emotionally fraught and soul crushing uh, horror stories, Mike Flanagan's your guy. And he, you know what, a thing he's going to do, he's going to make a show gay. 
And this, there is a wonderful gayness that is very sort of unfussy and specific and nuanced in this show that is so welcome and so beautiful uh, in the ever-expanding academy of Mike Flanagan players. So, yeah, that's really fun. Uh, Go check out Follow the House of Usher. It's going to be on Netflix. Let's send Mike and that streamer out with a bang as he moves on to... I'm going to say some greener pastures. But that is our show. We did it. You can follow us on Twitter at FeelingScenePod or send us an email at FeelingScene at MaximumFun.org. If you want to follow me, I'm Crew on Twitter. Our theme music is by Andrew Epen. The show is produced by Marissa Flaxbart. Our senior producers are Kevin Ferguson and Laura Swisher. And this is a production of Maximum Fun. Maximum Fun, a worker-owned network of artist-owned shows. Supported directly by you.